Now, if you've got your uh, Bibles, perhaps you could turn with me to Isaiah chapter 52. We're going to look at just a very short section uh, from verse 7 uh, to 10. It'll be up on the screen as well. As we think about the mission of God's people, um, a reminder that our mission is always to to enjoy the gospel, to enjoy our good news. And Isaiah 52, verse 7 to 10, serves that purpose of helping us to recover uh, that sense of joy as it describes to us uh, the wonder of salvation and encouragement to us to extend uh, the hope of the Lord to the ends of the earth. So let's uh, read uh, these verses together. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Uh, this little text reminds us of the life-transforming good news uh, that there is uh, in the Bible at the heart of our faith. And it's good news here uh, in light of two things, in light of uh, the current circumstances of the people to whom this message from Isaiah comes, or comes from God through Isaiah. Uh, and it's uh, life-transforming as we consider the character and the work of God, the true King. Uh, so this evening, to help us to, uh, in a sense, to, to grasp uh, the circumstances um, of the people in Isaiah's day, uh, to help us to enter into the text, we're going to go on a little guided tour. Uh, so we're going to go to the heart of the ruined city of Jerusalem uh, in Isaiah's time. Uh, but we're also going to be passing by uh, the city of Stalingrad uh, as we think about um, the great siege of Stalingrad in World War II. Uh, that lasted some 900 days or so, uh, between 1941 and 44, uh, will be taken to a city surrounded by uh, Nazi forces starving to death. Uh, and we will also take a very different journey. We'll journey to Narnia, uh, to that land where it was always winter and never Christmas. And we'll do that uh, to help us to think about uh, the good news uh, that we have here. Uh, that I hope these journeys will be a window for us into the life-changing joy of salvation that comes when the King comes, when help and deliverance comes. And so as I said, Isaiah 52 uh, came first of all to the exiles. This is a message for exiles. So they have been sent away from Israel because of disobedience. And so they know uh, that their city of Jerusalem lies in ruins. Uh, they have been captured by enemies, and perhaps God felt distant as they were in a distant country. 
And then comes that image of verse 7. So picture with me a breathless messenger running to the city of Jerusalem. And the watchmen on the wall spot this man running uh, over the hillside. And the question is, is this good news? What's the news? Is it, is it death or glory? And as he gets closer, uh, we hear his message. It's, it's good news. It's, it's peace. It's salvation. It's your God reigns. It's the equivalent of Stalingrad throwing a street party uh, when the Nazi forces uh, were defeated. It's Narnia finding hope uh, when they discover that Aslan, the true king, is on the move. So let's uh, jump into our text to see uh, why we should celebrate God's salvation. Uh, three words that stand out from our text. The first reason to celebrate, because God reigns. Verse 7, your God reigns. Now notice the answer uh, to the despair uh, that these people are facing. Uh, they say, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. And we might think, well, the, the hope is uh, because this messenger's here. But no, it's not the messenger. It's the message that gives hope. It's the beautiful message from their king of this king who reigns. Remember their experience. It's one of defeat, of knowing God's judgment of being separate from their homeland and from their temple and ultimately from the, the promised land. They have known humiliation and they have known loss, but now by God's grace, the tide is turning, hope returns, joy dawns. Just by way of observation, this kind of picture is, is helpful uh, for us seeing that the Christian message, our, our message it is only ever going to sound to people as good news if we have that sense of the, the spiritual danger and misery of life without Jesus as Savior. Um, when people dismiss the reality of sin or judgment or eternity, uh, Jesus and his death may seem to them pointless. Um, and so one thing that we always want to pray is that God would open uh, people's eyes both to have a right view of spiritual danger, but also to have a right view of the, the wonder of the salvation uh, that Jesus offers. Now, what does the reign of God mean for his people according to this messenger in verse 7? Have a look at these wonderful words. The reign of God means peace means shalom. It means wholeness and flourishing. It means life as it's meant to be. It means peace with God and peace within ourselves and, and peace uh, in the world. It's the way things ought to be when God reigns. It's good tidings. It's good news. Just as it was in original creation when God created and, and proclaimed that it was good, when God as king rules over all, there is goodness. There is good news in that. And there is too in verse 7, salvation. Now for these exiles, literally, they might be thinking in terms of broken chains and, and the end of being captives and slaves and getting to return home. But spiritually, that's a really powerful image, isn't it? 
And the Bible picks up that idea of us all being spiritually slaves. Jesus says we are slaves to sin. We cannot stop ourselves from being sinners and being sinful. We are unable uh, to break free. We are unable to conquer that great enemy of death. Spiritually, we are far from God and eternal life outside of the good news of salvation. So the gospel message, your God reigns, comes with that note of real celebration for the people of God. Uh, When people tell of the uh, the siege at Stalingrad, one of the the crucial uh, turning points... So if you imagine a city that's been bombarded month after month after month, but there came a point where Russian troops and and armaments came and managed to to break through and they they set up a a rail link. So now food supplies are going into the city and now weapons are going into the city. And there was that beginning of hope that, that Hitler would not have the final word. We go to Narnia, you know the story. We are introduced to the the white queen, Jadis, the one who claimed the throne of Narnia. Uh, But then uh, central to the story is Aslan's return. The true king returns to his kingdom and instantly how power is broken and begins to fade. That perpetual winter turns to spring. Father Christmas shows up because the king has come. And what the Bible says is that God is the true king over all. And his reign for his people is good news. It's peace, salvation. And it's important for us to to capture, as Christians, it's important for us to get that sense of, of joy and celebration as we think about how do we communicate the good news. It begins with appreciating just how good our good news is especially when we think about uh, the reign of King Jesus, because Jesus was and is God who reigns. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, Jesus proclaims good news from God. The kingdom of God has come near. He calls the people to repent and believe. The king has come, uh, bringing in his kingdom. Luke chapter 4, he begins to preach in Nazareth. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me, He has anointed me to proclaim, and to proclaim what? To proclaim good news, to proclaim the release for captives. Jesus is this king who has come, and he reigns. We see it in the life of Jesus. What's the kingdom of Jesus like? His life is bringing in God's kingdom, and we see healing, and we see driving out evil, and we see uh, raising people to life, and we see him restoring peace and wholeness, pictures of what his eternal kingdom is like. But then we see how he brings salvation as God's king. He is a king who suffers and dies for his people. Jesus, in that sense, is treated as an enemy so that we who trust in him might be regarded as friends of God. And today, our hope is that Jesus still rules and still reigns in heaven, in glory, at his Father's right hand. As David reminded us, he continues to 
pray for his church. He continues to pour out his spirit on his church, and he will return to take his church to be with him. And we look forward to the new heavens and the new earth where we will enjoy as God's people that perfect reign, that goodness, that joy forever. So there is reason to celebrate because God reigns. But that's not all that is contained in this section. We also have a second reason uh, to celebrate, and that's because God returns. Look at verse 8 with me. So we've gone from a a single messenger uh, shouting good news. This message is now picked up, as it were, by uh, the watchmen on the walls of the city, and they are passing this news to the rest of the city. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. What's the good news uh, for this city in ruins? The Lord is coming back. Our king will return. Uh, so, so again, this is the context of, of exile. And part of the tragedy of, of exile is that uh, this people who had known uh, so much of God's goodness and kindness and living in that covenant relationship with God, had left the land due to their sin, due to their idolatry, due to their turning their back on the one true God. And so God announced judgment. And that judgment came uh, from King Nebuchadnezzar, who came and he destroyed Jerusalem and he took captives away. And another prophet, a prophet uh, by the name of Ezekiel, chapters 8 to 11, it reminds us that part of that judgment from God is that God himself left the building. The glory of God departed from the temple. Of all the losses that the people of God knew, the loss of fellowship with the one true God, it was a great loss. So now, now they can celebrate with joy because here is the promise. It's the promise of the return of the king. King coming to save the day. Again, think about uh, Stalingrad. Bombarded, hungry, desperate citizens. But then uh, on the horizon, seeing tank after tank uh, from their Russian comrades, seeing hordes of soldiers coming, and all of a sudden, there's hope. This will not last forever. We have not been forgotten. Or to think of that wonderful uh, ancient rhyme that Mr. Beaver shares with the children in Narnia. He says, wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, Winter meets its death, and when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. The great hope for Narnia, the return of the true king, the hope for the people of God is that God wouldn't leave them in exile. God wouldn't say, I'm done with my people. Rather, he would return. Why was there the separation? The Bible is really clear. Why is there separation? is because of the people's sin, because of the people's uh, turning to idols. And that's, that's true for us. Why is it that we are by nature separate from God? It's because of our sin, because our, our hearts don't turn towards God. They're naturally turned away from God. 
different question. Why does God return? Why would God return? And the answer is entirely because of his grace and his mercy. It's not that the people deserve it. It's that God delights to show mercy and grace. And that's still true for us today. That still remains uh, the hope of God's people, the hope of the world, that though uh, we are by nature sinners and rebels and enemies against God, that God in his grace and mercy is willing to come to us and to save us and to return us back to himself. And when we think about who is Jesus, we recognize Jesus was and is God who returns. The gospels are full of that. In Malachi chapter 3, so, so the last book in the Old Testament, there was this future hope that the Lord would return to his temple. And then you think about it, so we've been in John's gospel, it's no wonder there's so much attention on Jesus coming to the temple. He is the Lord who comes, literally comes to his temple. The Son of God comes to be among his people, eh, to rescue them. And he declares, I am actually the true temple. If you want to meet with God, you need to come to Jesus, he says. Another one of the Old Testament prophets, Zechariah, Zechariah 9, 9, spoke of um, that future hope of the, the king who would come riding on a donkey, the king who would return to them gentle and riding on a donkey. And that's what we see with Jesus shortly before his death. Jesus returns, the king returns to Jerusalem, uh, riding on a donkey as our humble servant king. And that's not the end of that theme because now, as the people of God, we are still awaiting another return of King Jesus. So he came once, he returned once, and he has begun building his kingdom, begun the work of establishing salvation. But the end of history, Jesus will come back again. His return is when we will see that prayer answered, your kingdom come perfectly. Salvation will be complete on that day. All his enemies will be defeated on that day. Eternal life will be secured on that day. So our hope and our joy remains the same as those of the people in Isaiah's day, the return of the king. We live in between the, the first return, the first coming of Jesus, and the second coming of Jesus our king. And there's one other reason to celebrate in this short uh, section, verses 9 and 10. And we celebrate the reality that God redeems. Now the message spreads beyond the single runner, uh, beyond the watchman on the walls, to the ends of the earth, from the ruins of Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. A song of God who redeems. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. In the book of Isaiah, from, from chapter 40 onwards, the theme of comfort becomes really prominent and important, an, an end to the, the loss and the misery and the, the defeat. And, and we're told here, in part, how that comfort will come. The Lord has comforted his people, and he has redeemed Jerusalem. And that word there is the idea of the kinsman redeemer. Uh, for those of us, perhaps, who know the story of Ruth, Boaz was her kinsman redeemer, a close relative who was able to to buy back land or to buy someone out of slavery, to, to pay a price to bring 
restoration. And God says to his people, I will be your kinsman redeemer. That speaks to us of relationship, of costly love, of commitment on God's part to to save his church and to keep his church. And so it's no wonder this message in verse 9 and 10 becomes a song. From the, the ruined city of Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, there's this song that God saves. Maybe we think of a psalm like Psalm 96, verse 10. Say among the nations, God reigns. This is the, this is the hope not just for uh, the exiles, not just for the people of Jerusalem. It's hope for the world that God reigns, that Jesus saves. Uh, when Stalingrad uh, was eventually uh, freed from that siege after 900 days. Uh, there were reports of, of tears of joy, of, of street parties breaking out, of wild celebration after years freedom had come. In Narnia, when Aslan leapt into battle and crushed the witch and, and won the victory, there is joy among people and animals because the king has come and the king had saved. And in the same way, and much, much greater, Jesus was and is God who redeems, God who saves. That's how he was announced by the angels. The Savior who has been born to you is the Messiah, the Lord. God's chosen Savior had been born, and he was none other than God in human form, Jesus, the Son of God. And in his life, don't we see uh, the arm of the Lord at work, pushing back darkness, acting as the light of the world, acting with the power of God to bring in his kingdom. And then in his death, the arm of the Lord nailed to a cross in order to secure our forgiveness and our salvation when we trust in him. So we praise and celebrate the God who redeems. The whole story of the Bible is the story of Jesus and it's the story of salvation that we are called to celebrate. As we close Let's go back to verse 7. Let's think about that, that single messenger on the hillside uh, speaking for the king. It's peace. It's good news. We are saved. Doesn't that represent a brilliant picture of the church and of us as Christians? We are sent by King Jesus. And, and the hope for the world is not us as messengers, but it's in the message that we declare, Jesus has come to make peace between people and God by dealing with the problem of sin that leads to death. Jesus is good news because in him, we can have eternal life. We can have relationship with God that lasts forever. He, Jesus, is the king who saves. And that's why we preach. 
This is why we want to spend time on Monday evenings praying for those we know and care about who aren't Christians yet. It's why we want to show compassion in our community, in our workplaces, to our families. It's why we seek with the help of the Spirit to bring him into our conversations because we know that Jesus really is good news. We know that salvation is a cause for celebration. So as the people of God, as we discover again and again, as we rediscover in the Word of God how amazing our good news is, may we pray that we would want others to hear and that we would be ready to be that messenger, bearing that good news from our King, spreading the joy of His salvation. Let's pray together. Lord, our God, we thank you that throughout uh, the whole Bible, uh, we find the wonderful story of your saving grace. Uh, We thank you that you are the God who reigns, uh, that you have created all things, including us. Uh, We thank you uh, that despite our sin, uh, despite our rebellion against you, that in your mercy and grace uh, you have sent your son Jesus uh, to live and die and rise and return to the glory of heaven as our king. We thank you that he is your king who reigns. We thank you that uh, he is the king who has come and who will come again. And we thank you that Jesus is the King who on the cross has secured salvation for all who would put their trust in him. Father, again, as we think of this good news spreading through the world, as we think of the the, the misery and the suffering and the darkness uh, that we hear and see so much of in the world, uh, we pray that your Spirit would be at work Uh, turning back the darkness, uh, bringing people from that kingdom of darkness into your wonderful kingdom of light. Uh, Lord, we pray it so that you would have the glory that you deserve. We pray it so that more and more people would have true and lasting joy. Please help us uh, never uh, to forget uh, the good news of Jesus. Help us never to take it for granted. Give us that boldness and help that we need to share it with others, to pray for others, uh, to work uh, for the sake of others coming uh, to know Jesus as Savior too. Now we pray in his name. Amen. Now let's uh, close together uh, singing the hymn, Nothing uh, But the Blood of Jesus, and we will stand together to sing.